Welcome to the Journey to Pay Speaking Gigs podcast, where we focus on how to find your voice, develop your message, so that you can get consistently paid speaking gigs that generate income. Not only are you going to learn how to find your voice, but you're going to hear from professionals in the industry who are making a powerful impact, sharing their story, and transforming lives. My name is Charles Clark. I'm an international speaker and ex-professional athlete, and I believe that everyone has a story to tell, but not too many people are telling it. And that's why I created this podcast, because I'm passionate about helping people break the silence, even if their voice shakes. And today's guest is going to give you the insight on how you can do just that. Dan, welcome to the show. Charles, thank you so much for having me. Let's get with it. Yeah, so, you know, before we get started, let the Thrive Tribe know, who is Dan? Hmm. <laughs> Well, uh, first and foremost, Dan is a father of three, a husband of one, uh, a Canadian uh, who's written four books, uh, has done four TEDs, and uh, is really kind of here with uh, a purpose statement as follows. Uh, We're not here to see through each other, Charles. We're here to see uh, each other through each and every day. And so that kind of purpose statement for me is kind of why I believe I've been put on the planet is to help people reach their full potential. What, what does that statement mean to you? Well, it's kind of my North Star, right? So when I wake up and I'm thinking about the three teenagers or Denise, my better half, or I'm thinking about, you know, working with clients or when I used to be an executive, uh, when I'm an author, when I'm going for a bike ride, I'm thinking about life. I just want to, you know, help people, I suppose. Uh, in that notion of, well, where are they today and how might they get to wherever they want to go? And I'm not saying I'm perfect at it, but uh, I believe that I bring some skills and tools to the to the game uh, to help people get to that point. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, for me to arrive to a, a powerful, profound statement like that of, of purpose, I feel like you have to go through something. I feel like there's a story behind that. What allowed you to arrive to that moment? Oh, I think we're all, uh, as the First Nations often say in some of their, their writings, we're all on a, on a journey and a path to the waterfall, which is the metaphor of life, isn't it? Yeah. And so, you know, I turned 50 this year, Charles, and I know I look boyishly 35, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, in my past 50 years, I've been, uh, I guess, brave enough, courageous enough, but also humble enough to look back and say, each and every day you get to learn something. Someone puts you in your place. Uh, someone teaches you something, if you're open and honest with yourself to be that type of learned person, I think you'll have a much better life. Like Mm -hmm. for me, you know, things like alcoholic mother growing up as a teenager, not the greatest time, but you learn a lot from that. Uh, I was on a national soccer team in Canada, blew out a knee, uh, didn't play soccer after that in competitive, uh, sort of notion for Canada or for provincial teams, et cetera. So, you know, you can have little moments like that that are negative, but you can have positive things like, you know, sitting in uh, sitting in a green room and in that green room is sort of one of your idols, uh, a guy by the name of Charles Handy in the UK who wrote so many books about authenticity and purpose. And I, I went on before him in a speaking engagement and he came there to see me. And you're like, oh, that's just wild, right? So anyway, 50 years of looking back and saying, if you're just open enough and humble enough to, to take the good with the bad and make that as a, as a defining kind of uh, purpose statement to you, mm-hmm. I, I think that's a better way to live life, to be honest, Charles. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I feel like in, in life, there's a few perspectives that we can have. 
and you know it's all by choice of what we choose to look at so yeah I, I agree with you 100 percent take take me on that journey of how did you become a speaker and when did you realize that this is something that you're truly called to do <laughs> well i would uh would argue my dad uh growing up used to say you know you should be on stage son because uh, i guess i I had a knack for the tongue uh, around the house as a young kid. So, in fact, you know, I was I was privileged to be, um, you know, captain of soccer teams and basketball teams and volleyball teams. I was president of student council a couple times in high school. You know, I went to university in McGill in Montreal, Canada, and you know, same thing uh, was afforded these leadership opportunities. So, I've never been uncomfortable in front of people. Uh, that might be a bad thing if you're my wife. But uh, it's a good thing if you're Dan. And so I, have, I ended up in the education field. So I was literally teaching uh, high school students. And then I moved in to college and university circuit where I was kind of in charge of adult career changers. Mm -hmm. And so right around 2000, 2001, 2002, I was thinking to myself, well, maybe I should go into the corporate world. And so I ended up uh, joining a high-tech company. And, and then I started delivering, you know, sessions to executives uh, inside of that company. And then when I stitched to a, a big telecom in Canada called TELUS uh, right around 2008, I then said, you know what? I think it's time for me to actually be unleashed to the world. Mm. And I know that sounds pretentious and very un-Canadian, Charles, but I, I, I literally said, okay, I'm going to try and figure out if I can be a little more public now, not just, you know, speaking in front of audiences in a company, yeah. but externally and lo and behold it just sort of began to build uh by 2009 2010 i had done a first ted talk and then you know kind of built from there mm, mm. Uh, what was the most i guess frightening thing for you to do i mean because that's a big act of boldness right to to change careers almost to something where you're you have a platform and you're influencing other people was there any fears that you had to get over? Yeah, I mean, we, we all have fears. And I think that's the thing. If you're humble enough to admit to some of those, like me, for example, heights, can't stand heights. So there's one. But I think the fear uh, ultimately of putting yourself out there and, and getting tomatoes thrown at you or, you know, you're not funny or you're not impactful yeah. or, you know, your uh, imposter syndrome is a huge one uh, for me still to this day. You know, I continuously try to hone the craft of writing and speaking and, and helping others. Uh, but but don't forget, every day, that's a it's a craft. Yeah. So I think that's part of the point is that uh, as much as I've been in front of audiences prior to 2010, you know, in executives, students, kids, you know, what have you, um, the, the art, if you will, of publicly speaking in front of larger audiences, et cetera, you know, that is much different than a speech to, you know, team members mm -hmm. or like a, a motivational coach speech, you know, in a locker room, mm -hmm. uh, you really got to sort of segregate the two kind of components there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. So in, in the middle of a pandemic, why do you <laughs> feel now should speakers be truly using their voice more authentically? Well, there's a number of reasons. I think first and foremost, uh, regardless of the pandemic, if you have uh, something to say of value, get it out there. Uh, in, in written format and obviously in, in, in audio or kind of speaker format. I think that's really important. But now more than ever, I mean, what the pandemic has shown is a few things. One is 
we we yearn for community, Charles. We yearn for people. We yearn for contact, and we learn uh, from others. So to hide behind the fact that oh, I can't have you know a physical face to face audience. I'm not going to hear them cry or laugh or gasp at a story. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's just kind of antithetical to what speakers you know ought to be considering of themselves and their talent. Mm-hmm. People need you. People need to hear your story, your voice, you know, your experience. So get on with it. Yeah. And what the pandemic, I think, has also shown is that those uh, thinkers, speakers, writers, the ones that are getting up and still doing it like this in front of a webcam, if you will, yeah. uh, they still have a compelling, uh, ultimately uh, useful and fruitful uh, ideology or, or opportunity in front of them. Mm-hmm. And if they sort of are scared by the fact that, you know, there's no one behind that lens. And again, there's no audience. That's just a wrong approach. I'm a glass uh, full guy, half full, yeah. Charles. And, and so I'm looking at and have looked at the past year. Funny enough, happy uh, pandemic anniversary to you, by the way. Um, <laughs> happy record this today, right? <laughs> Woo! <Yeah. laughs> Officially a pandemic for a year now. Fantastic. Yeah. But, you know, I think some of us have pivoted well and others haven't. Some have been stuck yeah. with deer in the headlights. And I think that's telling. Yeah, I, I think I realize in something completely new, you know, this is something that we've never experienced in our lifetime. No one has that the story that we have to share is still compelling. It it still reaches the hearts of people, even though you can't see their expressions per se. Right. Uh, and it's I, I just think, it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's. I mean- yeah, go ahead. You can see it in the, in the chat sometimes, and then if you have like open Q and A, I mean, yeah. I, I think I've done probably sixty odd uh, keynotes and discussions for the past year. Yeah, it must. I, I, I didn't really count, but it's definitely up there. And you still have that opportunity uh, within the the keynote or the the chat or whatever the discussion itself to to reach someone. And again, it's a pretty good opportunity to hone your craft in how well you tell the story yeah. or stories because no matter what right? yeah stories can be told and you can get to the heart and mind of and soul of people by by how well you're telling that story yeah yeah and i think too i mean it shows the way you practice you know because you can't see those expressions and and that can't be like the the um the fuel that allows you to just be a little bit more animated it shows can you practice the way you you show up on the stage right totally yeah, yeah. i mean i think it's um i mean we're, we're we're basketball fans in our house and i grew up uh, outside of toronto as a kid and i was a lakers fan and so you know i was showtime showing my age right like worthy and magic and all those guys mm-hmm. and uh and then that 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 extended obviously to the shack and the kobe years and you know, we have three teenagers we're raising. And as we sort of, you know, they're youngish teenagers, but as, you know, they were bringing them into the basketball fold and teaching them about sort of the Mamba mentality. Mm-hmm. And my middle child is kind of like completely all Mamba, all Kobe right now about that attitude. And I guess where I'm going with this is if you're a speaker, uh, you kind of have to have a bit of a Mamba mentality. Mm-hmm. So that means you've got to really put in the hours and and hone in on those words that story that photo and and practice you can't just get up and wing it yeah and that's where i think you know you've got opportunity now within the confines of a of a pandemic to still you know practice within your room your office what have you at home 
yeah. uh, in your condo. And, and then when you're kind of ready to be unleashed again to physical face-to-face -face audiences, are you ever going to be knocking it out of the park? So a little bit of Mamba, I think, is, uh, is in need for speakers as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to know, like we, we talk about the Mamba mentality, right? I, I think as, as speakers, you, you have to have like that mental fortitude, right? Do you, do you feel like your wife has the same mentality or are you guys just on two different ends of the spectrum? uh my mom is, or my mom my, my wife is mamba mamba i would say like she's a french gal here in canada that runs the show and so you know she's a director of academics for a school of about 1200 students and with with her fortitude and her resilience through a pandemic i've never seen her lead uh more clearly than ever and and for me you know, it just the gods somehow paired us up, and it's been a wonderful union for 25 years now, Charles. How yeah, about that? that? That's awesome. Years, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We just went on a year uh, um, in February, Congrats. so you know, <laughs> young in the game, but but love is love, <laughs> right? Uh, uh, glad, yeah. I, I'm curious to know, like, what's what's your routine like? Uh, what what is a a life in a day, however they say it, uh, of you rehearsing your speech? You know, because I I feel like a lot of times people don't know what that truly looks like, you know, whether that's you in the living room or you going to the beach to, to rehearse, what does that look like for you? Oh, great question. Um, and there's a few things. First of all, I'm always constantly curating for stories. Hmm. And, you know, I might have 10 stories I find in a day. I might have two and, you know, 0 0.01 of the stories that I find make it into talks. So I'm always trying to figure out, you know, um, stories that are from different backgrounds, different citizenry, uh, different ethnicity, different countries, different verticals, you name it. Right. So I have I use Evernote, which is a pretty cool app. And mm -hmm. so I have a bunch of uh, file folders, if you will, in Evernote that has, you know, story for CPG, story for Black Lives Matter, story for uh, Canadian uh, indigenous rights and, and so on. And again, I, I think it's important for speakers to not only have, you know, their methodology, their process, you know, their content, but you've got to have stories. So that's number one. I curate all the time. Number two, when I uh, ever take on a keynote or a discussion of some sort, it's tailored. I, I, I'm kind of a weird one, Charles. I, I don't believe in canned keynotes. No, no. I don't believe in delivering the same keynote. Like, <laughs> First of all, it would drive me crazy. I'd be bored to tears. Like, why would I go and deliver the same thing over and over again? Yeah. I must have probably a thousand stories, as I say, the ones that I've used. Mm -hmm. And again, I mean, at the end of this episode today that we're recording, I'm going into a 10 o'clock keynote. And that is for a government uh, entity up here in Canada, in Alberta, province of Alberta. Mm -hmm. It's a 45-minute talk. Uh, it's 25 minutes basically of me having thought about and worked with those leaders on what they've gone through here in the pandemic and bringing their stories, because I've talked with several leaders over there, bringing their stories into the talk mm. and then weaving that into a couple of the books that I've written and some of the content from there and then saying, here, this is the package. Mm. And, I, and so what I've done is part three to your kind of question would be, you know, I've gone for a bike ride. Uh, yesterday, and I've noodled that talk and the process and the and the stories in my head, and I play it back to myself. Even though I'm not looking at slides, 
Yeah. And by the way, I don't really use text and size or just pictures. And I tell the stories, right. Yeah. But I, I'm thinking about the flow and I'm, th- I'm playing back what those stories are going to be, how I might intonate a certain word, where I might mm-hmm. pause for added effect, things right. like that. Right. Build Barack Obama a bit. And, and that's, that's essentially how I, I prepare. So total curation, total tailored, and then I have a couple runs in my head of what I think the flow will be like. Obviously, I've planned out the slides in advance uh, yeah. somewhere in there as well. Uh, that's a unique process. I, I, I like that. I might pick up on some of those points as well. So awesome. what, what do you feel like we should be doing right now to prepare for when things open up? Or is there anything that we should be doing differently to prepare for when things are opening up and event planners are, are now booking in-person speakers? I would be, uh, and I am, uh, taking stories from the pandemic and, 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 and I guess cataloging them or putting them in some sort of file folder or library like Evernote and, and waiting for the opportunity in which to use those. Don't wait for getting hired yeah. and then say, oh, how am I going to use a story here? Again, back to my point of curating, like there are, we've been at a year at it, as we've talked about, right? Happy anniversary again of the pandemic. And so what stories do you have over the past year that you can then weave into whatever your thread or content base is. It doesn't matter what. The the thing with the pandemic is that it's never going to go away. Yes, the pandemic will go away, but the pandemic won't go away, i.e. there's there's opportunity for you to take the stories and the content, the good and the bad of the pandemic, and to put it into your talks and speeches for the future, because everyone can then look back and, and during the time when it's a post-pandemic world and say, wow, Charles, that was an amazing story you told about those kids in Tampa and what they did to raise money for the elderly in the long-term care home. Like, whatever, yeah. I'm making it up, right? Yeah. Like, that's what you should be doing right now. Yeah, I, I think speaking is like art, right? And artists, they're always displaying what's going on right now. Right. Like that's that's true art. And that's something that's that's timeless. Right. I, so I, I encourage you guys to share those now stories. Like We don't always have to rely on the what we've been through story. But what's going on now? Because that's that's what the relatability comes in and the connection. And yeah, just like you said, to to be able to talk about COVID-19, to be able to talk about like 9-11 and all those things and say and say that we made it through. That is mm-hmm. the thing that's going to build that connection and uh, and allow people to see that we're not alone in this. So yeah, much respect to that. So what what would you say what have you or have you ever made a wrong turn in, in your speaking career and and what allowed you to get back to the center? Well, wrong turns happen all the time because sometimes, you know, you're you're coming out and you're flat. So it could be a wrong turn you know, in the talk itself, and you mis- you misjudge the audience, let's say. Yeah. And th- those are difficult. I mean, they're humbling because, you know, you've pre- prepared. Obviously, you've had the conversations with the, the team, whoever it is on the other side. And then just all of a sudden, you're like, that story didn't work. That joke didn't work. That talk. And it's just like, whoa, what went wrong? So I think, again, back to art, you know, whether, uh, whether you're a musician and you put out a bad song or a bad album, and you're like, how come that didn't hit? I thought that was awesome. You just go back and you're like, okay, hmm. what do I learn from this? And how do I uh, get better at the fact that I just bombed? So that that would be kind of one overarching piece of advice. Yeah. And for me, like t- wrong turns uh, sometimes are uh, gigs that you take. 
And, and I've learned now how to say no. At first, I would say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I've learned is to say no, because not every speaking engagement is the same. So, you know, you, you want to be careful about who you're associated with. You want to be careful about what that audience is and, and what might happen, you know, in a, recorded, in a recording of it that goes YouTube or wherever, social media. So, again, we're like, pick your friends, I suppose, right? So pick your clients as well. Yeah. So it's okay to say no. Don't just because of the, the draw of the dollar say yes to everything. That would be number two. And then, you know, for me personally, um, you know, the, the wrong turns or the struggles is the fact that, you know, I've written four books and, and now it's kind of like, well, how do I, how do I use portions of the books and what am I trying to really get at? So I've got to be very crystal clear on the focus of the talk. Now mm-hmm. I used to just talk about culture and engagement in organizations. Then I added purpose. And so I'm like, okay, I got culture. I got purpose. Then I added a whole book about thinking how to be a better open creative thinker. And then I wrote a book about caring leadership. Mm-hmm. And so and now I'm writing a book about courage that hasn't even out yet. So I have a difficulty in my head of being very crystal clear on what it is I'm trying to get across and not being, you know, too generic and, and too unhelpful uh, to too many people. Yeah, yeah. Great, great advice. What would you tell somebody who's looking to get started in speaking, but they have some fears or maybe they're just a little bit uncertain about some things? What would you tell them? Hey, uh, get on the horse. Because uh, you never know where that horse is going to take you first and foremost, right? And uh, the other bit is that there are horrible speakers out there, and they're getting paid. So uh, <laughs> as long as you, even if you're horrible, uh, you'll probably get a gig. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so true. <laughs> I mean, let's just let's call a spade a spade here. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think you know we even delved into things like speaking agencies, etc. I don't, here's the thing. I wouldn't go out, you know, without you building up and, and harness or harvesting your craft and, and really like honing in on it. Don't go out to Washington speaker bureau or wherever NSB and just start saying, Hey, look, here I am. I'm awesome. Uh, you know, be humble and build at it. Give away your talks, do a bunch of free conferences, right? Like just practice by doing it for free which is what basically I did for seven or eight years. And then I launched into fee paying. So I think that's one of the, um, the weird factors of the industry is that there's far too many people who believe, oh, I'm going to be a speaker right away. And that they're, they're going to be in an agency and be, you know, ripping up 25 grand talks every six weeks. <laughs> okay. That's not how it works, right? It's yeah. like musicianship. As you mentioned, I love the fact, Charles, you call it art. It is art. But unless, you know, if you look at like, you know, whether it's Chuck D or Billie Eilish, they all started young and practice and practice and practice. Yeah. And then, you know, in the early teens or late teens or early 20s, all of a sudden you're like, Chuck, that is amazing word. Like, uh, like PE, love it. Right. But, yeah. but he didn't start out, you know, as a 12 year old, all of a sudden launched into, you know, being one of the best rap groups ever or hip hop. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. Yeah. So, so again, take your time. Yeah, I, I say the more you speak, the more you get paid, and whether that's free or or whether you're getting paid for it, the more you do it, you, it's going to happen for you. I love that. Yeah. The more you speak, the more you get paid. The more you get paid, and I think it's also the idea like we understand that there's no overnight success because yeah. 
it requires so much and there's little steps in that process that we got to take so whatever part of the journey that you're on right now decide to take that first step it might be the advice that dan gave you today it might be that, that idea that you've been sleeping on for so long and you just need to do something with it it might be you need to get a coach or, or it might be get involved into a community or, or something the thing is take the step it only takes a step for you to get closer to that destination whatever that is go do a tribe dan before we go where can the tribe find you Hey, uh, it's probably easiest with my last book because my name is so hard to remember. Uh, the last book is called Lead Care Win. So just go to leadcarewin.com and uh, you'll be taken to all my goodness there, if you will. 